0: Okay. All right. We're in the middle of a conversation about dangerous church. And here's what we've been simply asking. We've been saying, what if, what if there was a church that was like the church that Jesus imagined the church, that Jesus planned for the church to be uh, when he created the church. Because if you and I could land on that, if we could be that fully committed, fully devoted, absolutely without apology, following Jesus' church, that church would be an absolutely dangerous church. The community would be changed. People living in proximity would be changed. Our friends would be attracted. That would be an absolutely dangerous church. And so we've been having that conversation. I think it's incredibly prudent to ask that question in context. Of a culture that seems to be moving ever, ever more increasingly toward darkness. How do you be the church that Jesus wanted you to be when the culture is moving away from Jesus so rapidly? I mean, think about this. Uh, In in my generation, in in a single generation, uh, I've watched abortion become legalized. It's okay for us to kill our babies. School shootings have become normal. I mean, think about this for a minute. When I was a kid growing up, when most of you were kids growing up, the idea that someone would take an assault rifle, walk onto a school campus and indiscriminately start shooting people, or walk into a mall, or or walk onto a college campus and begin to ask people, are you a Christian? Well, good, then I'll send you to Jesus. The idea that that would ever happen was just unthinkable. And yet now we're not surprised. Gay marriage has been legalized in our lifetimes. Medical marijuana and, and you get you get you get that our culture is moving and, and it is moving toward darkness. This is not a, this is not a momentum toward god this is, this is an absolute flight away from him. And then the critical question comes, well, then how does the church respond? I mean, how should you and I, as Christ followers, behave in the midst of a culture that has so much momentum going toward darkness? How do you and I respond to that? How would we be the church that Jesus would want the church to be in a moment of this level of darkness? Grab your Bibles. Because I think Jesus gives us an answer. It's Matthew chapter 5. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, you're going to find this book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples, hence talking to you and me and saying, here's how you're going to flesh this out. Here's how you've got to respond to a culture that doesn't understand me, isn't necessarily interested in me, but to... Bring them hope because you realize at the end of the day the church is the hope of the world If anything is going to turn this it's going to be the presence of the church It's going to be you and I the representatives the body of christ here on earth Helping a world figure jesus out And here's what jesus says about that. It's matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 13 you jesus says so us You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, so you get the idea, salt's supposed to enhance, salt is supposed to change the flavor. But if salt forgets to be salt, if salt somehow stops being salt, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, us, you, Jesus says, are the light of the world A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, what you do with a lamp, you put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And Jesus says, if you're going to be that church... That, that absolutely helps people who are far away from me and maybe even running away from me figure me out, then you're going to have to figure out being salt and being light. Now, here's the interesting struggle. That in the church today, there's a real, real tension about how do you live in a culture that's going as dark as ours. And there's a group of Christians who would say, hey, uh, this is all about being truth tellers. See, the reality is what everybody needs to figure out is that what they're doing is sinful and what they're doing is wrong and it's up to you and I as Christ followers to simply say to them, hey, stop it, you're wrong. Don't do that anymore. The Bible says you're in sin. And they want to make this a conversation that is black and white. They want to win an argument. And the problem is when the church moves into that mode, you and I turn the church... Into a battleship. See, it becomes all about proving to people who are far from God that they're wrong in being far from God, that their behaviors are sinful, their behaviors are wrong, and it's all about winning an argument. The problem with battleships is this. You may win a battle, but at the same time, you cause lots of damage. Lots of woundedness. And the reality is, if you and I are not careful, if if our relationship with the world just becomes about you and I proving that we're right and that they're wrong, it's possible that you and I would win an argument but lose their hearts. That when we were done with them, people would actually be more turned off and further from God, even though you and I had proved our point. When I was a young man, I went to a really ultra-conservative uh, Bible college. I mean, this Bible college was so conservative, they thought Jerry Falwell was a liberal. Okay, so that means something to the old people. So let me just say to the rest of you, this, it was super, super radically conservative school. And in order to be accepted as one of the preacher boys at this school, you had to be willing to go out every Saturday night with a group called Modern Day Prophets, stand on the street corner with a sign that said, repent or go to hell. So they came to me. And they said, Lynn, if you really love Jesus, then you'll come out there and stand on the street corner with us with your sign." I said, I can't. I can't. And here's the irony of the moment. I actually agree with you theologically. See, here's what I know. I know that everybody needs to find Jesus. And they need to allow Jesus to be their own personal Lord and Savior. And every person who misses that, every person who turns their back on Christ, will end up spending eternity without God in a place called hell. I know. I know you're actually right. The problem is your delivery stinks. Because here's the deal. I've never seen a car repent. See, I've never seen a Volkswagen pull over to the side of the road, bow down on its tires and say, Jesus, save me. I've never seen it. And here's my best guess. My best guess is the people driving those cars, when they see you with your signs and the anger in your voices as you call out, my best guess is here's what they're saying to themselves. I never, never, never want to be one of them. See, it's possible. It's possible to win an argument and lose a heart. And I think Jesus helps us with this one day when he comes across a group of battleship Christians and says, you're arguing about the wrong things. So grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Mark chapter 2. If your Bible's open, uh, it's going to be just a little bit to the right. Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 2. If you closed your Bible, shame on you. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. If you close your Bible, go to the back, work to the left, you're going to find Mark again. Mark chapter 2. And this is Jesus having a conversation with a group of battleship Christians who are saying, no, 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 this is all about black and white. It's all about right and wrong. And Jesus is going to say, no, you're missing the point. Here we go. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Here's what it says. One day, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look... Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, here's what you've got to get. They are exactly right. They're exactly right. He, Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his uh, companions were hungry and in need? And in the days of Abednathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, And he also gave some to his companions. Now watch what Jesus says next. You ready? Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, real quick, just for some of you that are really, really, really struggling, you're going, wait a minute, was Jesus breaking the Sabbath? No. Here's why he wasn't breaking the Sabbath. Why was the Sabbath created? The Sabbath was created so that you and I would take a pause in our week and spend time with God. The disciples, as they're walking across the field, who are they with? God. The truth is the disciples are keeping the Sabbath in the most purest sense of the Sabbath that had ever been done before or since. But the battleship Christians can't see that moment. They're going, hey, whoa, 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 technically grabbing pieces of grain. You can't do that. And here's what Jesus is saying in the moment. He's saying, look, here's what you're missing. Every command that God gives, God gave that command to bless us. In other words, remember the phrase Jesus said, hey, God didn't make a bunch of rules and then said, oh, I need to create some people so that they can follow my rules, Jesus said, no, it was just the opposite. God created people. And then he put some rules in place. But the purpose of the rules was to bless the people. All of the rules, whether they liked them or not, or whether they were frustrated with them or not, or whether they said, hey, if I was God, I wouldn't have made that rule. It doesn't matter. Because every rule that God made was to bless their lives. And God created the Sabbath so that, in the midst of their workaholism, in the midst of all their busyness, knowing that without a Sabbath, they would neglect time with God, I created time. I created a pause in their life to re-energize and refill their relationship with. I created the Sabbath to bless them. And then he basically says to the Pharisees, if you were really concerned, you shouldn't be concerned about defending the law. You shouldn't be concerned about keeping the rules because look here's the deal truth is truth whether you defend it or not truth is going to be there at the end of the day and the reality is it's the people who aren't listening to the truth that need care because if you deny the truth in other words if you keep running your life up and banging yourself into the truth it's like running yourself into a boulder can you imagine that Oh, I don't like that command of God. Oh, I, don't, I want to date that guy. And you keep running into a boulder. Well, who's going to get hurt at the end of the day? Not the boulder. We are. And so Jesus says, hey, wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't worry about defending the law. The law, doesn't, the law doesn't need defending. The truth will still be the truth. Worry about the people who are breaking their lives by disobeying. And what you should have said, you should have said, hey Jesus, don't you realize your disciples are missing the Sabbath and that's going to be so unhealthy for their lives and when are they going to have their personal quiet times and how out of balance will their lives get? Do you realize how destructive this could be? If you really understood the heart of God, you'd be worried about the people who are destroying themselves by missing the plan of God. you find yourself today here as a battleship Christian? It's possible. It's possible that you're exactly right. It's possible that you're winning the argument. But your niece is further from God today. Because your delivery stinks. Your nephew is so much further from figuring out Jesus. Because in your rightness... You haven't put any salt on the conversation. And you haven't been willing to explain why God made the law and help their heart get closer to you've been so busy proving them wrong. It's why Jesus said, if you're going to be the church, you've got to figure out salt. You got to figure out how to take the things I've commanded and make them appetizing. There's a group of Christians. I call them the Grace Group. Uh, they're they're really the polar opposite. They're the polar end uh, from the Truth Group, and they would say, look, "Look, look, look! This is all about loving the sinner. This is all about accepting people where they are, and th- this this is all about saying, 'Hey, I'm look, I'm not going to judge you, and, and, and I'm not going to make you feel uncomfortable. This this is a place of love, and this is a place of acceptance. And 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 I just want I just want you to know, hey, how, whatever you whatever you need to do, it's okay." I'm not gonna judge you for it. And the problem is, that when you and I become grace-centered Christians, we turn the church into a cruise ship. By the way, that's a model of the Titanic. So you kinda know where I'm going. So imagine this, imagine you're on a cruise ship and you get a couple hundred miles out into the Atlantic And all of a sudden you see a swimmer. And so now the cruise ship pulls up next to the swimmer and you're all on deck partying. And uh, you call down to the swimmer, you go, hey, what are you doing? And the swimmer says, I'm gonna be the first guy to swim the Atlantic solo. And you go, dude, that's so cool. What a great idea. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but man, if that's what does it for you, do it. Man, you want a margarita? And then you pull away on the cruise ship. And then you whisper to the person on the deck next to you and you go, he'll never make it. See, the problem, the problem when you and I are singularly grace-filled and it's all about accepting and you're okay and I'm not going to do any judgment, I'm not going to say anything to you, is that you and I have the potential of leaving people exactly where we found them. Which is why Jesus said... If you're going to be the church, you've got to be light. There's got to be a moment in which you turn on the light, so to speak, and say, hey, you realize. You realize what you're doing doesn't get you anywhere. That that you're never going to get the happiness and the fulfillment, disobeying God and living in the lifestyle that you're living. You'll, You'll never find what you're hoping to find if you keep doing that. Turning on the light. You ever done that? You ever walked into a room that was pitch black and you flip on the light and you get one or two reactions. So you're going to have a group of people in that room and they're going to go, oh man, ah. And then they're going to pull their hands away and they're going to go, oh my goodness. There's things in this room I never saw before. I mean, I, I could have stepped on the cat. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a coffee table right in front of me. I could have tripped over that. Thank you. Thank you for turning on the light. That's so helpful. But you're going to have a group of people in that room and go, man, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. I don't want the light. And you realize that being a follower of Jesus means that there's going to be a moment within love and within acceptance and within non-judgmentalism in which you still have to have the conversation that says, you realize that behavior is a behavior of brokenness. And it will not get you where you want to go and you turn on the light. You realize not turning on the light, not having that conversation, leaves people in a place of death and in a place of discipline. Because if they're living against God's word, then at the very least God has to spank them. But it, but it also has the potential for huge destruction Possibly for spiritual death because if they say, look, I love that sin or I love that lifestyle or I love that behavior more than I love Jesus. They may never come to Jesus because they go, if I come to Jesus, I know I'll have to stop that. It can leave them in death of a relationship because you say, look, if you keep treating your wife that way, if you keep, if you keep responding to your kids like that. If you keep dating those types of people, you realize that leads to nothing but heartache. There's nothing but pain on the other side of that behavior. It can lead to death physically. You go to someone and, and you fail to say, hey, look, you keep smoking? You keep smoking like a chimney? I can tell you how this turns out. You keep abusing alcohol at the level that you're abusing alcohol? You see, Jesus would say, you and I cannot possibly come into contact with people and leave them where we found them. Matter of fact, here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that to come into contact with people and say, look, it's not, it wouldn't be my plan and it's not how I want to live, but to each his own and do what you, is actually one of the most unloving things you can do to not turn on the light. Think about this for a moment. If you had a child and that child came to you when they were 16 and they said, hey, mom, dad, I just got to tell you, I've been using drugs now for a couple years. And I just want you to accept where I am and I just want you to tell me that it's okay and that, you, you know, you're not going to judge me. How many of you in that moment would say to your kid, you know what? No, you're right. You're 16, so you're almost growed. And... Uh, you know, I, I, it's probably time for you to start making some decisions for yourself. And look, I I personally don't prescribe to doing drugs. But, I mean, if that's what brings you fulfillment and if that's your thing, go ahead. How many parents would do that? Because, you ready? You ready? Because the answer is love would demand that you not. Love would demand that you turn on the lights. And in that moment, you would say to your child, hey, 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 hey. This has nothing to do with whether I love you. Matter of fact, it has everything to do with the fact that I do love you. That I've got to say to you, I know, I know, I know. I know right now it feels like the drugs are working. I know right now that it feels like there's some sort of fulfillment in your life. I know right now it feels like you can't live without this. But I love you enough to say to you, this leads to death. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles one more time. Go with me to John chapter 8. If your Bibles are still open, it's just going to be a little bit to the right. If you closed them, go to the back, work to the left. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It's an amazing moment in which Jesus models turning on the light for us. You ready? John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made their stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher. And boy, you can just imagine the level of sarcasm. Teacher. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Black and white, truth. Now, what do you say, Jesus? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, I'll tell you what, here's the plan. Let anyone who's without sin, uh, you be the first one to throw a rock. And then uh, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground again. At this, those who heard began to go away. Wouldn't you love to know what Jesus was writing on the ground? Tom. Lust, greed, adultery. Jeff. Jeff. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was their names. I don't, I don't know. All I know is that moment brought great conviction to them. At this, those who heard began to walk away at the time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? No one has condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. And the grace camp says, Well, see, that's what we were saying. We were saying, Look, don't worry about the sin. Don't focus on that. It's all about acceptance and it's all about bringing them in and it's all okay. You didn't finish the story. Because look what Jesus says next. Go now and leave your life of sin. You get what Jesus said. Jesus said, Look, I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to win an argument. I'm not here to make you look bad. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. But stop it. Stop it. What you're doing doesn't lead to life. How you're living this life, trying to find a man that's going to fill your heart. And so you've gone from man to man to man and you still haven't found peace and you still haven't found happiness. Jesus says, stop it. This can only end badly for you. And in that moment, Jesus models for us what it means to be light. That there are people in our lives who we've befriended and who have come into our lives. And we've worked so hard to establish friendship. But there's got to be a moment in which we determine in our hearts not to leave them where we found them. Without hope and without Jesus. And that somewhere you and I have got to be willing to say to them, in the right moment and in the right context... Stop it. You will not get what you want to get. You you will live a life filled with regret if you keep going that way. You will never, never, never be truly happy like that. Stop it. And what if? What if there was a church... That somehow figured out how to tell the truth with salt on it. And and instead of trying to defend the truth, instead explained the truth. And why it made such a great difference in our lives. And what if there was a church in the midst of not condemning and not throwing people away. Found a way to turn on the light and simply say, stop it. Stop it. And what if they found that perfect harmony between truth and truth and grace salt and light that church that church would be a coast guard ship now here's here's the cool thing about a coast guard ship there's a puny little gun on there so if they had to argue they could a little bit but that's not what it's about you you get that a Coast Guard ship has one mission, search and rescue, which means if they find somebody floating in the Atlantic, they're going to say, stop it, get in the boat. And this isn't about winning an argument, this isn't about content. this is about you finding life. And we're not here to prove that we're right. And the truth is, we're not here to leave you where you are. We are here to help you find our Jesus. Search and rescue. It's what Jesus always dreamed the church would be. And that church, that church is a dangerous church. And my guess is in this room, there are some of us who've been battleships. And the reality is... We've, we've won some arguments, but the people we've been arguing with are further from God than when we started. And you've got to figure out salt today. You've got to figure out how not to defend the faith, but instead explain the faith. So that it becomes compelling and it becomes tasty. And there are some of us in this room who've been all about accepting and befriending and hanging out and it's okay and non-judgmental. And the problem is your friends... Your relatives are no closer to Jesus today because you've never turned on a light. You've never had the courage to say, I know this is a hard conversation and I know this is going to bother your eyes, but I love you too much to be silent. And we all need to get on board the Coast Guard cutter and be the type of Christians that Jesus called us to be. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, Man, we simply come to this moment. God, I'm I'm praying for battleship Christians right now that they would stop firing the guns and start explaining your truth. That they would become salt in this world. God, you gave them great analytical, good thinking minds. Help them to use that to help people far from God figure you out. Help them to be salty. And God, I pray for cruise ship Christians in the room who are so adept at relationship and they've, they've got such a great circle of friends, but God, make their hearts ache that they would not leave their friends where they found them. That they would have the courage to turn on the light and say, hey, the truth is you need to stop it. If you keep living that lifestyle, if you keep behaving that way, you're going to have nothing but regret. And I love you too much to leave you swimming in the ocean by yourself. So get on board with me. God, turn your church. Turn your church into rescue and search. Make us coast card cutters in this world that the culture would be forever, ever changed because we were on mission. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you get up and start running, let me say this real quick. All right, we've been doing this thing called Dangerous Church. Next week, we're going to ask you to hand in some commitment cards. They're in your uh, weekly right now. They're in the seat back. And here's the conversation we've been having. What if every single person in the room simply took a step in the right direction? What if we moved one step closer to God in our walk? So there's three categories on here and all i'm asking you to do today is pray about it I'm asking you to go home think about what's it going to mean next week when you fill the card out So the first one is grow as my commitment to grow this next year And I don't know what that is for you for some of you be hey I'm going to do daily devotions for the first time in my life For some of you that are doing devotions for one minute, it's going to be, hey, I'm going to go to three minutes. And for some of us, it's going to be, hey, I'm going to join a small group or a small, I don't know what it is. That's why I'm asking you to pray about it and think about it. But what would it mean for you to become one step more serious in your growth with Christ? The second category is giving. And, And again, I don't know where you're at. You may be an occasional giver. And one step forward is you to say, hey, I'm going to be a $5 every week. I'm going to be an intentional giver. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just simply asking, would you take one step forward in your walk with God? And then finally, the last one is service. Would you take a step forward? And for some of us who've never served, the step forward would be to serve one time next year. You say, hey, one time I'll serve. That would be a step forward. For some of us that serve once a week, it'd be serving every two. I don't know what it is. I'm simply asking you to figure it out with God. What would it mean for us to all move forward in each of these areas? Because that church that church would be well on its way to becoming a dangerous church. Okay, so you pray about it, you think about it. I just want to say to you, if you need prayer today, we've got counselors, they'll meet you here at the front, they'll spend time with you. The rest of you, go out of this place on assignment, search and rescue, and God bless.